Please pray with me. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come as the wind and cleanse. Come as the fire and burn. Convict, convert, consecrate us, and make us wholly yours. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Two Sundays ago, we celebrated the Feast of Pentecost. Now, originally in the Old Testament, Pentecost is a harvest festival. God's people were called to rejoice together as the abundance of the earth was gathered in. The first Pentecost after Jesus rises from the dead is still a harvest festival. And we see his followers rejoicing together as the infant church begins to grow and people from all nations and tribes and languages of the earth are gathered in. And now in these Sundays after Pentecost that we begin to journey through, we are invited to participate in that harvest, in that rejoicing, in that abundance. In our reading from St. Matthew's Gospel this morning, Jesus says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, I don't know about you. When I think about mission, I don't usually think in terms of abundance. All right? The way I feel about mission is not usually the way I feel about a harvest celebration. These are different emotions for me. Because to be honest, most of the time when I think about mission, what I'm really thinking about is myself. I'm acutely aware of my own inadequacy, my own failures. Which is to say that I don't think about mission the way that Jesus apparently thinks about mission. But St. Paul, in our reading from Romans 5, underscores the Christian attitude in everything as one of hope and as one of joy. Hope for the future, rejoicing, he says, even in the midst of suffering. Assurance that we're not put to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. In our reading from Matthew's Gospel, Jesus shows us what it looks like for us to share in mission as a people of hope and as a people of joy. And so I want to walk through this passage over the next few minutes and see what it looks like this, to lean into the gladness and the abundance of the harvest. All right? As our reading begins, Jesus is already on mission. Matthew 9, verse 35 is a kind of summary of everything that's happened since the end of the Sermon on the Mount, back in chapter 7. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction. And when Jesus saw the crowds, the gospel says he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. This word helpless, it's something like thrown down. They're downcast, or maybe they've been beaten down by circumstances or by people whom they've trusted, 
or by systems or institutions or just life itself. A few verses later, Jesus refers to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And when he says lost, he doesn't mean they've wandered off and gone missing. He means something like what the EMT means when she shouts, we're losing him. Right? He's about to die. They're just barely making it. These people are coming apart. Isn't our world filled with people who are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I mean, you can see it with a glance at your most convenient news source. There's a global pandemic happening, if you hadn't heard. People are sick, people have died, many people. Unemployment rates are through the roof. They're the highest in the lifetime of most people here. The death of George Floyd and others has led to widespread protests of racial inequalities that go back for generations. In some places, new violence has broken out. But you don't have to look at the news. Just think about the people you know personally. Families fracturing, bodies rebelling, souls crushed. Isn't this what it feels like to be harassed and helpless? And these are the people who come flocking to Jesus, hungry for healing, aching to hear some good news. Don't you want to hear some good news? And seeing the crowd, Scripture says Jesus had compassion for them. I think it's easy for us to water down that word, to forget what the word compassion originally means, to suffer with someone. But that's what this verse is saying. Jesus doesn't shut himself off. There's no self-protection here. He doesn't say, how did these people get so screwed up? What is wrong with you? Why are you so harassed and helpless? There's no rejection. He feels for them down deep in his gut. That's literally in the Greek word. It's the sense of from the gut. He, his heart goes out to them. The first step in doing mission the way Jesus does mission, is to start to see people the way that Jesus sees people. To recognize the reality, but not just the reality of their need, also the reality of Jesus' response. This deep, heart-wrenching love and desire for them to be restored, to flourish, to have a shepherd. So often I think we see the need in the world we see the need among people we know. And we start to feel overwhelmed. We start to lose hope. But how does Jesus respond? He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So yes, on the one hand, Jesus says, you're right. There is a profound disparity between the scope of the need and what's actually happening to meet that need. Our sense of that is not wrong. But on the other hand, when Jesus encounters desperation and anxiety and suffering and confusion, he isn't overwhelmed. He doesn't sense defeat. He doesn't perceive a threat. What Jesus sees is a harvest that's ripe and ready. Or in other words, the problem isn't the size of the crop. The problem is not the difficulty of gathering it in. 
The problem is that fruit is falling to the ground and nobody's picking it up. To approach mission the way Jesus wants us to approach mission, first we have to recognize the reality, but second we have to respond to the need. But hold up a moment. Be careful. Notice what response Jesus calls for. I appreciate the way Frederick Bruner puts this in his commentary. He says, Jesus is not recorded saying, the harvest is huge, the workers are few, therefore go. Take a look, he doesn't say that. We'll get there. Those are not Jesus' words. What Jesus says is, the harvest is vast, the workers are few, therefore pray. Here's where mission so often goes astray. Okay, sometimes it goes astray because we get discouraged, we focus on ourselves, and we don't even start. But sometimes we see a need. We know that Jesus wants to answer that need. We hear him saying the laborers are a few. We think, man, I've got to do something about this. Someone's got to do something about this. And we start planning, we start working. But the thing we don't do is the thing that Jesus specifically commands his disciples to do, which is pray. Pray. Why? Because Jesus is already on mission. And if we want to be part of his mission, we can't just go, we have to be sent. The one who planted the field is the one who has authority to send laborers to do his work. The harvest is plentiful, the laborers are for you, therefore pray. Pray. How shall we pray, Lord, earnestly? What shall we pray? For the Lord of the harvest to send laborers. Notice what he says. For the, pray for the Lord to send highly trained missionaries. That, that wasn't it. Pastors, people with resources, people with unusual insight, people with advanced degrees. Nope. There's a harvest ripe and ready. He's not looking for hyper-specialization what he really needs is manpower. Someone has to do the work. Well, who have we got? A handful of fishermen? Former tax agent for Rome? That doesn't seem great. A future trader? Really? Those guys will do just fine. Sometimes we forget the gifts of evangelism and teaching and healing and deliverance are, in fact, gifts. Ask the Lord to send workers Trust the Lord to equip the workers he sends. Remember what Jesus tells his followers just before he ascends into heaven. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And what happens? They spend 10 days in constant, continual prayer. Don't miss that part. And when the day of Pentecost arrives, the Holy Spirit rushes upon them and pushes them out to share everything that they've seen and heard, and the harvest festival begins. Joy, celebration, it's like new wine. People say, these men must be drunk. No, it's just the harvest. Something similar happens in today's reading. We get a foretaste of this. After instructing them to pray earnestly for workers, it says Jesus called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Gave them authority. 
Mission with Jesus starts when we recognize the reality. We have to respond to the need through steadfast, persevering prayer. But as we pray, we make ourselves available, third, to receive the Holy Spirit's power and authority. And in the Holy Spirit's power and authority, we're not just sent, but driven out in the fields, fourth, finally, to reap the harvest. Expect the Lord to answer that prayer. And if you do what Jesus says and ask him to send out workers, don't be surprised when he sends you. Right? You saw that coming, right? But don't expect God to send only you. In the Gospels, Jesus always sends teams of laborers. The Apostle Paul is almost always traveling with others. So if you sense the Spirit of God moving, don't sit on your hands waiting. Well, where's the team? But do look around. Me and who else? Because I guarantee you, he's not just calling you. And if you don't see them, keep praying. Because the way that mission with Jesus starts is also the way that mission with Jesus happens. The way that mission with Jesus starts is the way that mission with Jesus happens. Look, Jesus' heart goes out to those who are harassed and helpless. Therefore, he gives his followers authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every disease and every affliction. They aren't just sent to save people's souls. They aren't just sent to restore people to bodily health. No, Jesus instructs them to proclaim the kingdom and to heal. He even says, raise the dead. Bring hope to the places where hopelessness seems to have triumphed. The kingdom is breaking in. Anything that afflicts and damages human persons that makes them harassed and helpless has to be affected by that. My sister's church has this wonderful motto, love God, love people, and push back darkness. That's what Jesus sends them to do. Cast out demons, he says. Heal bodies. Proclaim the arrival of the kingdom. The need to repent and turn to God. Tell him it's happening now. Do it. Why? Because that's what Jesus does. Because Jesus is already on mission. We get discouraged and we lose hope when we think that mission depends on us. But I have good news. Mission doesn't start with us. We just have to get on board. When he gives them authority to heal every disease and every affliction, that's the exact same phrase that Matthew used a few verses earlier to describe what Jesus himself has been doing. That's not a mistake. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is the message that Jesus himself has been preaching. All true mission and labor in the fields has to be continually rooted in prayer and in the power of the Spirit because it's Jesus' work that we're called to do, that we're sent to do. And this, I think, is why he gives these drastic and radical instructions not to take provisions for the journey. This makes people very uncomfortable. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals, not even a staff. Now that has a practical side. Act in such a way that nobody can possibly think you're in this for your own financial gain. That's not why we do what we do. 
There's a missionary purpose to that. But more importantly, it's a way of reenacting and constantly teaching ourselves that anything we do as Christians, we necessarily do with Jesus, in his strength, in his authority, with his resources. The point is not that we're supposed to lack things that we need. Notice how he ends the sentence, the worker deserves his food. The laborer is worthy of his hire. But whose business is it to pay the laborer? More fundamentally, whose job is it to make the harvest fruitful? The Lord of the harvest is the one who sends laborers out, and he's the one who draws them together to rejoice and celebrate abundance as the harvest is gathered in again. And of course, if we share Jesus' mission, we should expect the same range of responses that Jesus receives. This is where he goes in the last few verses of our reading. If you continue in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus spends a fair bit of time describing suffering. He says, some people are going to reject you, attack you, bring false accusations against you. Don't be surprised. And here's the hard part. He tells his disciples, don't make contingency plans for how you're going to defend yourself when that happens. Oof. Don't figure out exactly what you want to say when they bring you up before courts and judges. Why not? Because when we shift back into the realm of our own strength, we aren't doing his work anymore. And then people are just rejecting us. Mission fails. But, he tells the twelve, there are people who are hungry and thirsty for the hope and the healing this kingdom brings. There are people of peace who are eager, who are waiting, who will welcome this word. Go find them. Bring peace to them. Let your peace rest upon them. The ones who reject it, on judgment day, he says it will be better for Sodom and Gomorrah. If we're doing the Lord's harvest work and not just our own, I don't have to defend myself because someone else has my back and he's going to bring judgment. Some passages of scripture, the letter of Jude, for instance, remember Sodom primarily in terms of sexual sin. I don't think that's what's happening here. Rather, I think Jesus is echoing what the prophet Ezekiel says in chapter 16. Sodom and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. If you remember the story in Genesis, when the messengers of the Lord show up, the citizens of Sodom refuse to open their homes. In fact, they attack them. And the prophet Ezekiel offers a stern warning to Israel that she not become like Sodom and reject the day of God's visitation. Jesus offers that same stern warning to those who reject his apostles, who also come two by two, lest they miss the day of God's visitation and come under judgment. That's how serious he takes this. As Bishop N.T. Wright puts it, God's kingdom was rushing upon them like an express train. They have a choice, get on board or stand in the way. But in a sense... Aren't these final verses also a warning to us? When we focus on ourselves and surrender to self-protection, 
or give in to despair, when we quench the Spirit's power, when we forget to pray, when we don't open our eyes to see that people around us are harassed and helpless, when we don't open our hearts to Jesus' deep love and desire to restore, are we really any different than the Sodom that did not aid the poor and needy, that shut its doors? The Spirit of Jesus is urging us to see, to pray, to receive power, and to share in his mission, to live as a people of hope and joy. Jesus says, the fruit is ripe and ready. Pentecost has happened. The festival has started. The celebration is underway. There's abundance on offer. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray, therefore, to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. In your prayer book, on page 652, there's a prayer for a spirit of evangelism. And I want to ask you to turn there and join me in concluding with this prayer. In fact, I want to do more than that. I want to ask you to consider praying this prayer regularly. Make it part of your weekly prayers. If there's a day you fast and pray, that would be good. To make this a way of enacting obedience to Jesus' command in this passage. To pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. Page 652. Please pray with me. Almighty God, our Savior, you desire that none should perish, and you have taught us through your Son that there is great joy in heaven over every sinner who repents. Grant that our hearts may ache for a lost and broken world. May your Holy Spirit work through our words, deeds, and prayers, that the lost may be found and the dead made alive, and that all your redeemed may rejoice around your throne. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.